So in a lot of ways, we are still worshiping a lot like who? The Jews, in so many ways. Um, what jumped out at you? Any Anything strike you as fascinating? Go ahead, Jim. Ed, can you hit the lights? Correct. Yeah, the synagogues really we could see as sort of the the local church because, you know, the synagogue in Capernaum, the synagogue in Nazareth, the synagogue in all these different places. The synagogue really grew out of the time of exile in Babylon because they did not have the temple. When they were when they were exiled into Babylon, they did not have the temple, so they could not make the sacrifices necessary according to the to the law of Moses, because they didn't have the temple. They can't do it. So, but they still wanted, they still needed to gather around God's word. They still saw that as important. And so they developed a synagogue worship. Sin hogos means sin come together in a house. Synagogue. Sin agagas. And so that's coming together into, um, into a house. And yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so they would take some of the, the Seder rites that they had and sort of combine them into um, the, the weekly worship on the Sabbath, still coming together like that. When they came back from exile, the synagogue worship came with them, and they continued to have these local places of gathering. Otherwise, it would have been uh, the, the weekly worship and things, other than the temple worship, would have been happening in homes. The head of the household would have been having psalm and preaching and teaching and things in their own homes. But when they went to exile, it turned into the, um, the corporate worship life in the, in the synagogues, which actually is quite a good thing. Uh, God never criticized the, um, the establishment of synagogue. So that's, it's actually a, a very beneficial thing. So what else? Anything else? What about, your, what about the sense of what the temple experience would have been like. If you ever been by a, a meat locker, you know, a, a slaughterhouse, I mean, that's a lot of what was happening at the temple. It was, it was a slaughterhouse. And the work of the priests at that time was not, you know, very sanitized and very sort of tidy and things. It was bloody work. Sin was, is a bloody matter. And thanks be to God that the, the bloodiness of it is over in the sacrifice on the cross. Because I don't know if I have the stomach for it <laughs> to, to, be a, to be a priest in that, in that sense. And it's interesting that the, the, the vocabulary of the clergy has changed from the Old Testament into the New Testament church. The clergy in the Old Testament were called what? Priests. And the work of the priest was to do what? To offer To offer sacrifice. Now, clergy is called pastor. Feed the sheep, tend the lambs, care for the flock. There's a difference between those two things. The work that, that, that I do as a pastor is not the work of um, offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, because it's already done. That sacrifice has already been made. So that's why really in the, um, in particular in Lutheranism, we don't, we don't call our clergy priests. In fact, the New Testament calls who? 
priests, a priesthood, a royal priesthood. Who is referred to in that way? Well, we're all saints, but he also calls the body of Christ a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so, who are the ones offering sacrifice now? If you are a royal priesthood, we are not in the sense of atoning for our sins, but Paul says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, having been redeemed by God, that gift of faith. Our living sacrifice is one of a contrite heart, repentance, receiving of forgiveness, the offering of prayers. That's something else priests did. They offered prayers on behalf of the people. That is now what all of us are given to do. We are the royal priesthood. And so the priests are now all of y'all, <laughs> and, and, and you're given pastors, shepherds, to guide, and to preach, to feed, and to teach. That's, that's the goal there. So the nomenclature changed. It really, it, and it, it's not insignificant. I, mean, I think we maybe use those words pretty interchangeably for, for clergy in general. But, um, but I think there's, I think it's more significant, more significant than that. So, okay, I'm going to change, change my source here. Okay, there we go. Oh, it's like magic. And it's also very tiny. <laughs> well, it, these are I, I, what I have are the scripture verses that we're going to end up talking about. Um, I guess that'll work. That should be bigger than that. I don't know why. Anyway, first experiment. So, all right. Looking at our um, our handout that we were that we were given here. Nate, what are the three places where Jews worshipped at the time of Jesus? Temple, the synagogue, and the house. And, and in, in, in a re very real sense, we, we still worship in the temple of God, you know, in God's house, and we have a worship life in our own homes, in our own houses. So, I'll tell you what, um, since we're going to have Bibles in front of us and things like that, and I think having lights is probably more important than having... Uh, these up on the screen. Let's uh, go ahead and, and hit the lights there. Because I can't read it. <laughs> and I'm not going to be very much help to you. So we can hand out some, some Bibles. So was Jesus shy about um, criticizing things he did not feel were right in Israel? No, he was not shy at all. He, he called them all sorts of names. He called them whitewashed tombs. You know? Yeah, well, John the Baptist said a uh, brood of vipers. and uh, But he, you know, there's a whole series in Matthew's Gospel about, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He goes over and over again. It's like the, the counterbalance to the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are you, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those, blessed are those. And then, you know, later on in the Gospel, he turns to the Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He didn't really shy away from that at all. Um, what are some of those things that he did criticize the scribes and Pharisees for, the, the people? What were things that he was critical of? What's that? 
They were critical of him healing on the Sabbath, but what was his criticism of that? I mean, why? Yeah, they were hypocritical about that. That's right. That's right. They had set up, you know, the, the original intention may have been very good. They didn't want to violate the Sabbath. And so they, they created a broader hedge of rules around, you remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, by giving strict rules about it. Um, go, go and look at some of your, uh, your owner's manuals for your ovens at home. There's a Sabbath setting. There's a way to set it so that it will, I don't exactly know what it does, but either it, 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 it will do the work on that particular day for you because there are rules about what you can do, how much work you can do to cook. Right, right, because turning on, because preparing a, a, an oven was work, but cooking the food wasn't. That's called legalism. <laughs> when, you, when you create the rule and then find a way around it, that's called legalism. It's, it's like, um, just keep your eyes open for that kind of stuff. So, or they, their tithing was something else that he was critical of. He says, you, you tithe out sprigs of mint and thyme. You know, make sure I get, you know, weigh it out. Tenth, I have a tenth of my harvest of basil and all these different things. But then they didn't show mercy to those who are downtrodden. He says, that's hypocritical. You're missing the point. And so he will heal on the Sabbath. He will do these things on the Sabbath. It's the false worship that he was criticizing, uh, the idolatrousness that it had become. Instead of Christ, instead of the Messiah, the gifts that God brings them that were the focus, it was keeping the rules around it that became the focus. They felt secure in, in God's love for them if they kept the rules, not because of the atonement that God gave. That's what he was critical of. What did Jesus not criticize? The temple life, the worship life, um, the offering of sacrifices. In fact, when he was a child, what was offered? Uh, what, what did, what, he was, it was passive in it, but what did he keep as a child? Circumcision, the presentation in the in the in the uh, temple, um, you know, being twelve years old, the, the instruction that he went through from from rabbis, he kept the law, including the sacrificial system as well. He went to the Passover as was his custom. Passover is a pilgrim feast. That means they would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and he did those things. Well, what is what did he say after that? Because didn't he say that Yeah, see this is the this is the transition that we begin to see in in the New Testament worship from it being located specifically, and we're gonna talk a little bit about the temple, um, the presence of God being located specifically in the temple where he has said it would be. Um, what did Jesus say about the temple? Okay, it's his father's house. What did he say? Tear down this 
temple and in three days I will rebuild it. But he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. And so we have in Jesus, Jesus becomes the embodiment of the temple because the temple, the temple existed to demonstrate what? What was the temple there? So people could look at it and say, that is, that is where God is. That is how God is present among us. Well, as soon as Jesus is born, we don't look to the temple and say, that's where God is present among us. Where is God present among us now? In the flesh of in the flesh of Jesus. And that's why then he can say, tear down the temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. He's talking about raising his body from the dead. And now his, his presence is the temple presence of God. And so when we're gathered in his name, with his word, he is present. That becomes the temple where Jesus is. So now we don't have to rebuild the temple. We don't have to rebuild the temple. Be very careful when you hear Christian denominations or Christian preachers or anything talking about the importance or the necessity of having to rebuild the temple or reestablish uh, the independent nation, political nation of Israel. Be very cautious of those things because they're looking, they're, they're misunderstanding the messianic nature that Jesus came to fulfill the law and to bring us all to be children of Abraham, not one particular race. That, that kind of Zionism is very dangerous because it focuses away from what Christ has done toward a genealogy. And that's something Jesus was also critical of. We don't need the temple anymore because we don't have to do what anymore? We don't need to make sacrifices anymore. So from a Christian perspective, the temple has been fulfilled all right. Um, how did Jews view holiness in connection with the temple? The closer you were, the holier you got. That's right. And actually, that was also reflected in the materials that were used to um, to establish the temple, to build the temple. As you as you went in closer, the materials became more and more precious. Until finally, you get to the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered in pure gold. It was, it was a wooden box, but it was covered in pure gold. So the closer you got, the vestments that would be worn by the priest would become more ornate and more fine in their, um, in their, in their manufacture to show the pre- as we get closer to God, things get better and better. And what was the most important part of the temple? The Holy of Holies, because what was there? The Ark of the Covenant. Uh, this is from uh, Exodus 10, 25. They'll make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits, it's about six foot and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, so about six by three and by three. Um, <laughs> hope, thankfully, it wasn't one by four by nine, because otherwise that would be um, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. You've seen it, right? The big monolith. You've got to see it if you haven't seen it. Aaron, have you seen it? Alan, have you seen it? 2001 A Space Odyssey. Watch it really late at night. It's trippy. <laughs> All right, so um, three by one and a half by one and a half. Overlay it with pure gold inside and out. Make a molding of gold around it. 
cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on each side, poles of acacia wood, which by the way was also what they made what out of? Acacia wood, gopher wood. The ark, Noah's ark. Um, the poles and the rings were so that you could carry it because they couldn't touch it. And they remain in the rings and should be taken out of it, those sorts of things. So yeah, why was that the most important part of the temple? Why was the Ark of the Covenant the most important part? Okay, yeah, the thing, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the tablets of the covenant were in there. Other things were in there as well, but what did they do once a year? On the Day of Atonement, and this is later on in, um, in Exodus 25, uh, the cherubim shall spread their wings over it. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. You've all seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That's actually a pretty good just rendering of the Ark of the Covenant. It's actually pretty good. I don't know about the melting face thing exactly, but, uh, but at least the, the, the design of it. But here... There I will meet you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Why was the Ark of the Covenant the most important thing? What did God just say? There I will, I'll speak to you. There's my word. There's my presence. And once a year on Yom Kippur, they would, they would sacrifice, on the Day of Atonement, they would sacrifice the lamb and they would bring its blood in, and they would sprinkle the blood on that mercy seat, showing that by the blood, sins are forgiven. We are atoned for. All right, what was the, the second most important part of the, uh, of the temple? Mm-hmm. The holy place. And what happened in the what happened in the holy place? That's where the sacrifices were made. Aaron and his sons made offerings on the altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense for all the work in the most holy place, and to make atonement for Israel according to all that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded. And that that Leviticus 16 goes through in a very detailed way the continuous the morning and evening sacrifices that were being offered there, and that. This, this pillar of cloud would be coming up from that altar of sacrifice all day long because they would be, there would be meat and sacrifices thrown on there all, all day long. And they would burn incense because, well, it smells better than, it smells better than a meat locker. <laughs> and the incense also signified, the smoke rising from that signified the prayers of the people ascending before God, that there was interaction there. Where did the people gather while the priests offered a sacrifice in the holy place? Out in the courtyard. Yep. And so match the areas of the temple that correspond to our own worship area. What would be sort of the most holy place? The altar area, we would call that the, uh, the chancel. Um, now here's a little nomenclature difference. Um, sometimes we refer to the sanctuary as the whole building, right? Um, 
but it, if you want to get more technical about it, if you've got when you get technical about it, you've got the the chancel, and uh, then you have the sanctuary, which would be this whole area out here, like behind the communion rail area. That's the sanctuary proper. And this area out here, a couple weeks ago we talked about that. The what? The nave, the boat. Yeah. So it, the sanctuary in the narrow sense is the area up in front. Yes. And then you have the chancel, which is even, even closer. And then you have the nave or the court. It's where everybody could gather men and women. And sacrifice is an important theme through all the Old Testament. Um, where was the first sacrifice? Where's the first animal killed to cover sin? Yeah. No. Genesis 3.21 And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skids and clothed them. Yeah. They had, what had they made their garments out of? Fig leaves. Fig, Adam and Eve made them out of fig leaves, which, you know, that's not going to last so long. But he made them garments of skins, and if you're going to get a skin from an animal, first you have to. They don't tend to offer it up any other way. They, they don't tend to let them go willingly. <laughs> All right. And it continued... Um, Right after, what was the next, you know, it continued on. It wasn't the very next one, but it continued when Noah came out of the ark. He offered burnt offerings on the altar. In fact, he took more than two of every kind of the clean animals, the ones for sacrifice. He took seven of each kind. So there was more than just two and twos coming along of the clean animals for sacrifice, which means during that year on the ark, he was probably offering sacrifices. All right? Then also with Abraham and Isaac, Abraham took Isaac where? Up on the mountain, up on the mountain which becomes actually the mountain where what city is built? Jerusalem. Mount Moriah. And... Um, sacrifice is plays a pivotal role there. Abraham is asked to sacrifice his one and only son, his beloved son. Ooh, that sounds very familiar. Who else gives up his one and only beloved son? God, this is a figurement of that. But he doesn't, because they turn around and, and, and God, the angel says, stop, and instead the sacrifice is the, is the ram. All right, Moses, um, in connection, he would promise um, with Moses in Egypt at the Exodus, sacrifice brought the promise that the angel of death would pass over the household where the faith had slaughtered the lamb and put the blood on the what of their houses? The doorposts, that's right. Um and in Exodus chapter 12, it was finally established as a regular practice 
in the book of in the book of Exodus is when it's it's given as uh, um, well, I don't know the answer to that one. I don't have my answer guide with me. I don't know which book he was talking about there. Exodus is where they give the the eternal declaration. But ultimately, the um, the Passover lamb pointed to what or to whom? Jesus. To Jesus, who made the sacrifice not so the angel of death would pass over in Egypt only, but for the sacrifice to atone for all sin. That's right. So why why did the temple sacrifices end? Because Jesus was sacrificed. If if all the blood of of bulls and goats was pointing toward the sacrifice on the cross. Once the sacrifice on the cross is made, you don't have to do the other ones anymore. They can't. They don't have the temple. They don't have the temple. And I don't even know if modern Judaism would even necessitate the rebuilding of the temple. I I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even think they know how to... I mean, they'd have to figure out how to do it all again and things. I mean, modern Judaism is very different from even the, the synagogue Judaism of Jesus' day. Second Temple Judaism is very different. It's more a, a, a moralistic pattern of life or genealogy, you know, sort of saying, I'm Jewish because of history, and so I do certain things. Um, identify ways in which our own liturgy expresses our understanding of being holy or right with God. How does our own liturgy describe that? Where does our liturgy start? When I, when I come out and I give the invocation, where do I start from? You know, we've got a few steps here and things. Well, I'm I'm over here, <laughs> but then I give the invocation from here, and so having delivered the forgiveness of sins and receiving it myself, because it's God's declaration, not mine, then we sing the glory to Excelsis, and then we then where do I approach? Then I move to the altar for the prayer, the first, the collect of the day. Having received those forgiveness, we can approach the altar of God. And then in fact, in the Lord's Supper, you come, you approach from the court area, you approach where? You approach the holy place, and the Holy of Holies actually comes to you. Because what do you receive? The very, the very body and blood of Jesus. You, you, eat the, you eat God's sacrifice, the body and blood of Christ. And that's how you can say, how, how do I know that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is for me? Well, I have just what? Ate and drunk the very sacrifice that God has given me, his own body and blood. And so as, as the forgiveness comes down, we approach closer. What was the central point of uh, temple worship? Sacrifice. Synagogue worship, though, was 
the reading of Scripture. And, and so what do we, what does our Sunday morning worship encompass? Scripture and the Lord's Supper. We bring together word and sacrament. They're not separate from each other, but in fact, they're the, the two, um, the two main points. Remember that from last week? What's the, what's the climax of the service of the word? The reading of the, the reading of the gospel. And what's the climax of the service of the sacrament? No. The words of institution. The words of institution become the climax of the service of the sacrament because whose words are both of those? Christ's words, God's word. You know, God's life, God's word, his work. So that's what's, uh, that's what's significant there. So the order of liturgy that was used in the synagogue was they would have the, the Torah, the reading from the Old Testament, if you will, the, the, the Pentateuch. Then they'd have a psalm. Then they would read from the prophets, and they would have a psalm. And then there would be history and psalm. Then there would be preaching, and then a creed. And then they would sing the sanctus, and then they would have prayer. What are some of the similarities? <laughs> yeah, we do, the, we do the readings, right? We have Old Testament, we have Epistle, and the Gospel. Now, how is that different than the Jewish way? Correct. Right, yeah. We, we, we work toward the height, and whereas they start with the height, and then they see how the other pieces fit into it. And that's actually pretty common in, in, in um, as you read the Scriptures, and like, through the Genesis account of creation, you start with the big picture, you get the climax of it all. At the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then you start seeing the pieces of it put together. Um, what else do they have that's similar? Yeah, they're, they're singing. Yeah, we do singing, and um, they, they do singing. and it, we, We've lost a bit of the, um, the significance of the Psalms. And there are places in our liturgy for psalms to be used. Um, in particular, there's one called the introit. It's, um, it's a, a section of psalm appointed for each particular week. It tries to tie the themes together. Could be spoken, could be sung. Um, between each of the readings, there are there's psalms that, that fit in between there. Between the Old Testament and the Epistle, there's one called the gradual. It's, and that's very brief, usually only like three or four verses, again, sung or spoken. And then between the, the gospel, the, the epistle and the gospel, there's room for another um, liturgical verse, usually a psalm portion, maybe a portion of the gospel, that fits on either side of the Alleluia. Sometimes you would sing the Alleluia, Alleluia, and then you would have this piece of psalm or scripture in between that kind of sums up the theme of the day, and then you'd say, sing Alleluia again. And that's something, you know, the, the choir has been looking at some of those kinds of things as well. Mm-hmm. 
As far as we don't we don't have something that corresponds with the sacrifices you mean or They were looking at the sacrifices as pointing towards something and we see we receive the Lord's Supper as the fulfillment of that something. Exactly, exactly. So the the focus is really still the same, Jesus, the Messiah. It's just from two different, two different perspectives, two different angles. That's exactly right. Um, the Jews understood that God was present where His Word was read. Exactly. Um, we talked about um, the progression of the readings, the Psalms in the synagogue. Why do we sing hymns today? They, all right, we praise God with them. Yep. What else do they do? Okay, celebrating, yeah. Many of them are either paraphrases of Scripture or they, have, they, they retell the, the Scripture stories in um, the accounts of Scripture in, in poetic language, yeah. Have you ever learned something while, reading a, while singing a hymn? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what are, what are some of the things that stick with you best from church and growing up and things? The music. You, you set things to music, they stick with you. That's a great way to do it. It helps with the Word of God being memorized and becoming part of who we are. Why were the Psalms chanted in the synagogue liturgy? Okay. They, they saw God's Word at, you know, where God's Word is read, God is present, and at the presence of God, the church sings. It's a way to adorn speech, is to sing it. And so they would sing the Psalms because they would, they would um, um, it adorn the, the words of Scripture with song. And that's really the whole, that's the whole reason we, we sing hymns is to, is to adorn our speech with, with music. It's, it's the same with um, things like the Te Deum or the, uh, um, the Venite that we sing in Matins. The Venite is Psalms, it's Psalm 98. And so we sing it. Technically, if you really wanted to, to, to narrow it down, we chant it. Because uh, those are chant tones, is what those are. And you, the reason you only go halfway back on a couple of them is because those verses, it, it, they're only half as long as the other verses of that psalm. So you have to only go back halfway. So technically, we're chanting psalms there at the, uh, at the Venite. And the, um, the same with our other responses and things. We adorn speech with song. And it's something we can do. Some, we don't have to do it, but we can. We may. All right. Um, another similarity I just want to point out, in the, they had the Sanctus, and we have that too. That's from Isaiah 6. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. We sing that. We sing the Sanctus. We combine that with the um, Palm Sunday entrance. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David. We bring those two things uh, together in there. All right. And uh, how is every divine service like the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? What happened? What ha mm -hmm. All right. We praise God because, because why? Because He is... 
He's coming to us. Blessed is he who comes to us in the name of the Lord. Yep. Yeah. Yes, please. Ah, when did they actually cease? They actually ceased in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Romans um, in, the, in the rebellion that the, the Jews had risen up to, to kick the Romans out and they came in and they leveled Jerusalem. They destroyed it. So 70 AD is when um, the temple sacrifices completely ceased and there's not been a temple built uh, since then. So, yeah. Right. We don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. Even at Jesus' time, the Ark of the Covenant was gone. Um, sometime between um, their return from Babylon, um, the, the, they, uh, some of their neighboring enemies would take it, and then they would always have misfortune. You know, their, their gods would end up falling over, bowing down in front of it, big statues. It was really cool. And uh, so they said, we don't want it, get rid of it. And the people of Israel became afraid of it, and so they shipped it off to a different area, and it's gone. They lose it. Correct. If you see pictures of Jerusalem, and there's the, the golden dome, and the, the minarets and things in Jerusalem, that is on the spot of the te- where the temple was built, the temple was built there because that's where Abraham was offering Isaac as a sacrifice. The, the Muslims also claim Abraham as part of their history, um, but with their lineage coming from Ishmael. So that's why that's a significant place for them as well. So, oh look, here it comes. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Have fun. <laughs>